0: get a lot of that when you ask questions about math every day. (laughs) All right. Not that funny. Okay, we'll try to do better. Let's just pause again. Hey, you know, can't do enough praying. Let's just pause again and just quiet our hearts before the Lord and um, ask him to speak and take a moment to just say, Lord, my heart is open to you. Lord, our hearts are open. Whatever walls we're putting up, resisting... We just, Lord, help us to lower them. We lower them together right now. So Holy Spirit, you're our counselor, teacher, and would you just speak truth to our hearts today and give us faith, power to believe what's true. Thank you, God. I want to tell you the story of two teachers the first we'll call Mr. Mr. Tuttle. Mr. Tuttle was a math teacher at my high school, and I had him my first year of ninth grade. You know, new school, first year of high school, ninth grade. Right? Yes. And uh, he was a six foot five, uh, just beast of a guy. He could he could run a sub six mile and bench three hundred pounds. Basketball coach, just. You know, Mr. Carlson, how's it going? You know, that's kind of his voice. Very intimidating guy. And from day one, walking into his classroom, you kind of knew, okay, if I, don't, if I don't do the right thing here, he's going to, like, put me between two pieces of bread and just swallow me whole, okay? I cannot mess around in here. Another teacher I'll call Mr. Smith was a Spanish teacher. Just an awesome guy. I mean, friendliest guy Uh, super nice, very caring, kind of more nurturing type of teacher. Not necessarily the best classroom manager because of that more nurturing spirit. And so students in his class, you know, often from day one, you kind of felt kind of a little more warm fuzzies. And sometimes people would take liberties with that. I remember one day we were coming back from a, it was like a class meeting in the cafeteria, and someone had the idea, hey, let's all hide on, you know, Senor Smith. And so we snuck into the, um, the senior study right next door to Senor Smith's room and all just like hid in there. until so we heard Senor Smith coming back, you know, from the assembly, looks in his room and like, there's nobody in there. And he's confused. You know, we're kind of just like, you know, hearing that this, we're assuming this is what's happening. And he kind of like goes back down the hallway and then we all sneak back into his room, you know, and sit in our desks, you know, and he comes back in later and he's like, and he's like, where were you guys? Like, I just walked up and down the hallway. Where were you? And we're like, we were here. You looked in and just, you know, you looked at us, and then you turned around and left. (laughs) So, two different styles, right? Different results, different things. The point I guess I'm trying to make is, you know, what you believe about someone affects how you interact with them. And what your behavior ends up being. So I'm the same person. I'm not a different person in Mr. Tuttle's math class as I am in Senor Smith's Spanish class. I'm the same person, and yet, you know, wasn't prone to too much mischief in my math class, but there was a little more of that, a little more playfulness in Senor Smith's class. You guys drag with me? What we believe about someone, it changes, right, what we expect from them It changes the way that we interact. Now, obviously, we're not talking about, you know, you going to a class reunion and having a great conversation with your former math and Spanish teachers, okay? We're talking about your relationship with God. And so what we believe about God affects how we interact with him. And so the question I want to pose again today, similar as last week in this whole series, is, hey, what do we believe about God? What do we believe He is really like? When it comes to God, what do we actually expect to receive from Him? And I'll tell you what, the Bible has so much to say about that question. Because really, it is foundational to everything. We're in this series, we're calling Reimagining Glory. Subtitle, What's So Great About God? Where we are exploring that the glory of God and what's so great about God is that he is so incredibly and unbelievably good. That anything you can think of about a person in your life that is loving and caring and kind and patient. All of those things come from God, and God is all of those things incredibly magnified. He is the most delightful being in the universe. Being around him is just absolutely incredible. My hope for this is that you will begin in a new way to taste and see that God is really 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 good. And that that's what his glory is really all about. Not just that he's powerful and he can, you know, flick the world off into the sun if you wanted to or all those like whatever cool things he can do, but that what makes him so glorious is his goodness. His absolute and and just unwavering faithfulness, perfection, holiness, commitment, loyalty. I got to stop. This is just the introduction. I can't stop though, no, right? His unselfishness towards us. It's absolutely incredible. So we're, we're going through the book of John as we're moving towards Easter. And um, we're going to tell a story that happens just before Palm Sunday in the book of John. So in John chapter 12, I kind of mentioned that earlier, is when it happens in the book of John, but right before this is a really important event that happens in John 11. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, why don't you go ahead to John 11, okay? We're going to read a pretty large chunk of this and um, a story you may be familiar with and hopefully the Lord will shine new light today on it. This is John 11, all right? All right, it says, John 11, verse 1, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. first thing I want you to notice in this section is the depth of relationship that is here. I mean, For all, those of us just, you know, maybe you've grown up in the church, whatever, we think of Jesus as, you know, okay, Jesus is God. But in this passage, we see an incredible humanity about him. And we get a window into the relationships in his life. Oh, man, no one had deeper relationships than Jesus. Right? They speak of Lazarus as the one who you love. Isn't that amazing that they're able to speak to Jesus? They have that identity in their minds of, man, Jesus just really loves Lazarus. And obviously we get this picture that is is picked up again, um, Actually, after this in the book of John, Mary comes and anoints the feet of Jesus. She pours perfume and uses her own hair to wipe his feet. It's incredible. And then Jesus says to her, wherever the gospel is preached, what you've done right, will also be spoken about. Such an amazing act of love. But it's only done because there's, a, there's, there's been a greater love that's been lavished on her. Are you feeling this at all in the story? Just an amazing amount of depth of relationship and love with the people that are just in Jesus' life. These aren't even his cool, extra special disciples. These are just some friends. And so what do they do? They they just bring their concern to Jesus. And note, just like last week, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, in that story about him turning the, the water into wine, she just makes a statement and surrenders it to Jesus. She doesn't say, Jesus, would you please do something? She just says, Jesus, they don't have any more wine. And somehow there's an interesting connection in this passage where they're just, they just surrender the information to Jesus to see what he will do. There's an expectation of good in their heart. They're not begging and pleading him, are they? Now, of course, there's an implied question here. But it's just, Lord, the one you love is sick oh, you're good. We know you're going to do something good here because you love us. God's will in our lives is primarily relational. The will of God is all about how we are relating to him. You are not a robot, nor are you a servant or a slave. Jesus calls you friend and if you had a friend that was always thinking and asking you to just to do stuff for them what kind of a relationship would that be oftentimes we come to god thinking believing something about god that is totally false and that thought in this sense is just that well god just wants me to do lots of good things on earth and perform well and be a good little christian and you know, do things when primarily God is just wanting relationship with us. That's not to say he's not going to call us to do things, or he's not obviously calling us to love one another, but first and foremost, God's will is about relationships with him and with the people around us. You know, what's God's will for my life? Love him and love the people around you. If you do that, it will be unstoppable for the kingdom of God, just, and just, it's just a... Nice benefit, right, to living a life of love. I heard a quote from someone this week, and uh, I was was meeting with, with Joe Gray, and he shared some pearls of wisdom from his wife. She said, and I guess she got this from somebody else, but we'll just give her the credit today. Parenting is not about perfect obedience, but about building relationship. Right? Sometimes, I'll just share for myself, it's like, they need to obey. You know, it's like, no, we're not just trying to get them to just do everything that I'm telling them. The real center of it is building a relationship. That is God's heart for you. That is his will for for your life, is that you would know him and know his goodness for you. Mary and Martha are just leaning into that by just presenting this simple request, knowing that God has good things for them. So yesterday, um, I think it was post-nap time, I have three kids, and my oldest came down, and he had been listening to an audio book. And in this book, it was, it was um, Little House on the Prairie. And so in this one scene that he was listening to, they, they have like a little dance, you know? They're like, someone's playing a fiddle, and they're, you know, dancing around the room. And he wanted to like act it out. And so he's in the living room, and he didn't want to just do it, Right? He, he was kind of like, he, he, he was just asking the rest of us to participate. He wanted the relationship more than just the event. And so I jumped off the couch and just started prancing around the room with him, you know, to this song that he queued up on the iPad, you know, five-year-old guy. Kids get it. They want to connect with people. Yes, they want to do lots of fun and exciting things, but they're always drawing, especially mom and dad, into those things. Because it's about the relationship. That's why you got to be like a child to enter the kingdom of God, right? Watch a kid. You'll you'll see the kingdom. It's just right there before our eyes. All right, let's keep reading. I better speed this up. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Are you crazy, Jesus? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Well, that clarified things. Okay, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Man, Jesus just loves a good metaphor, doesn't he? All right, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. All right, this is scene two. So we were where Lazarus was, now we're with Jesus and the disciples across the Jordan is where they've been doing some ministry. The whole point of this, Jesus says, is for God's glory and for than to see Jesus glorified in this circumstance. So this is the overarching, right, deal that is happening right now. There's something about God's glory that's happening. Now, the people that Jesus loves and he's committed to, it says again that he, he loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus, but he's also committed to these disciples, right? They're pulling him in two different directions. Mary and Martha are just like Jesus. Lazarus is sick. And now he's just confined to a bed, like, implied. Please come, Jesus, you love him. The disciples are like, pulling him this way. Don't go, Jesus. They just tried to stone you. They're going to they're gonna kill us all. Thomas is like, okay. Either he's like, shrugging his shoulders, head down, and say, well, we'll just go and die with him. Or he's saying, let's go. We'll die with him. We don't get the emotion in that statement. But they're recognizing, they're just saying, Jesus, this is not wise. They just tried to kill you. Jesus is getting pulled in two directions. And just as a side note, this area where they are in, Bethany, is just a short two miles to Jerusalem. So obviously if they're there, there might be people just, you know, stone's throw from Jerusalem, so they might find him again and, and try to kill him. Okay? Neither group sees the way that Jesus sees. And that's what this whole deal is about, the light Anyone walking around the light, they're not going to stumble. But if you're walking at night, you're going to trip. Jesus is walking in the light. He sees the situation for what it is. And so in this decision that he's made, which is really a lose lose, he stayed two extra days, which meant that Lazarus died. So Mary and Martha just lost. And the disciples are like, well, now we're going? Now we're going to die. So they're thinking, this is a loss for us too. It's just like a double loss. Jesus, what are you doing? And he is calling them to believe and to shift what they see with their eyes. That is our challenge. Is it not? In the midst of difficult circumstances is to gain Heaven's perspective. It's to gain heaven's perspective. Now, I'm just going to give another shout-out because I read an amazing post on Facebook this week about a mother in our church named Naomi. And she was sharing about, this was public, so I felt like it was, is this a, okay, it's appropriate, okay. I mean, it's on Facebook. Her first birth was, was really difficult with her, with her daughter And she just felt like there was a lot of fear going into it, and it just was a really kind of tumultuous, kind of chaotic birth, and just a a very difficult circumstance. But as she approached the birth of her second son, she was kind of reflecting on that, and even the morning of, she said she just received prayer from some some different moms around her, and just walked into it with peace, and it was a totally different experience. Now, that's not to say it wasn't still hard, there weren't challenges there, obviously it's labor, right? But... um, the point is just what, 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 what her, her perspective was, what she saw in the situation, it, it shifted what actually happened. Her perspective had an effect on even her own body and what was happening in that moment. You tracking with me? What we believe is a powerful thing, especially when it comes to us and, and, and God, what we believe and expect from God. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are transformed when we start thinking like Jesus, when we start believing like him. All right. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Okay. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. There's a lot of people from Jerusalem here. The disciples are freaking out, right? They're going to get found out. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Now, one just aside that is important in the book of John is to realize that The Jews were looking for four signs of the Messiah. They were healing a man born, man or woman born, a person born with a certain condition. A person that had leprosy. um, And a person that had like a mute, that was mute or had a mute spirit. And the last was uh, someone that had been raising someone from the dead that had been dead for more than four days. And the reasons are, there's a number of reasons in that, but mostly it's because, you know, there's only one record of someone being healed of leprosy in the Old Testament, so it's just this really strong act of God. Uh, Person being born with a certain condition, they considered that person cursed by God, so only God could really reverse that. And then um, the mute spirit, the way they would cast out spirits back then is by learning the demon's name, but if the person couldn't speak, they had no hope to do it using their methods. And they also believed about resurrection that the person's spirit would hover over the dead body for three days and then would go kind of, you know, to their, what they considered to be heaven. So obviously Jesus, the spirit would be gone after, four, after three or four days. These were signs that they were looking for that the Messiah would perform. So just so interesting that Jesus does this, and then it's going to say later on that then they decided to kill him. Crazy. So we feel Martha's push and pull that most many of us also experience. If you'd been there, Jesus, like, what, what were you doing? We sent you word, but I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Right? She's missing a piece of who Jesus is in this, and he challenges her on it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's a pretty incredible thing to say. It's not just he can do a resurrection or he can speak some life, but he is life. We shift. Mary asks the same question. Martha expresses faith. Mary asks the same question. And then we see this incredible picture that Jesus wept. Now, this is puzzling in some ways because it's like he's already told the disciples he's going to wake up Lazarus. He knows what's coming. And yet, in the middle of this moment, Jesus, it says, seeing the Jews weeping, right? He's moved in spirit and he weeps. Now, I want to propose something to you and that is this. The glory of God is revealed in this moment in this story. That Jesus has just stated, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me lives. It's this amazing claim at divinity. And yet, here is God walking in human flesh. And what does he do when he meets with sorrow? He weeps alongside Guys, what we believe about God influences everything about how we relate to him and what we do in our lives. We have to see that this picture is for us as well. Every moment in your life where you have wept, Jesus has wept with you. Because you are the one who he loves. When you have mourned, he has mourned with you. That is the God of the universe. And that is his glory. And yet, people are missing it. In this moment, it says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. They see this incredible expression of love and what was in the heart of Jesus, the heart of God in this moment for Mary and Martha at this amazing loss, this incredible loss that they experienced. And others took out the finger of blame and said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? They're seeing the same thing and yet believing two very different things. Last section. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. She still doesn't quite get it. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Man! We see, again, he's deeply moved. Guys, we serve an emotional God who has a heart for his people and hates death and suffering and all the other results of evil in this world. They are not his intention. The Bible goes so far as to say that death is his enemy. Now, a puzzling thing that came up, and we were discussing this passage actually at Life Group last night. Jesus challenges them and says, believe and you'll see the glory of God. Well, we already know some of them were kind of like acting in faith and others were just blaming Jesus and said, man, why didn't you show up earlier, dummy? Could have just healed like you did all those other people. Now it's hopeless. What a jerk, right? What is, the, it begs the question. If Jesus is saying, well, if you believe, then you'll see the glory. And so they all believed, and then Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Is that what happened? No. There was all kinds of doubt and all kinds of things mixed in there. But listen to what it says after this. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus has done, had done. And then it goes on to describe how the Pharisees then made a plot. To kill Jesus. Are you seeing that? Right? They are experiencing the exact same event, and yet two extremely different results are happening. It's because it's all based on what they believe. Guys, believing is seeing. Believing determines what you see, even in the circumstances of your life. When you look at the challenges, What you believe about the character of God for you determines how you will see this event in your life. Is there hope or is there hopelessness? We have a choice to make. All of these people had a choice. And some of them said, look at how he loved him. And others said, what a jerk. He healed all those other people and here's his best friends and he couldn't come a couple days early. Others said, glory to God. Jesus, I believe in you. And others said, let's go tell the Pharisees, and they're going to kill him. It's unbelievable, the contrast. And this is the challenge again for us. We need to say, God, I believe that you are good. Help my unbelief. God is moving us on a journey of trusting him with our lives. This is not saying you can never waver, right? Interesting passage came up this week. In the book of Romans in chapter 4, it says, talking about the journey of Abraham, that he was unwavering in his faith. Anybody know the story of Abraham? That doesn't sound entirely accurate to me. Unwavering? right the guy says well this isn't working out to get this child that God promised so let's pull hagar into this no wrong move right sarah you know you're pretty good looking let's just tell him you're my sister all kinds of mistakes but that's not what god is looking at he's looking at your journey of growing in trust in his character and his goodness to you and no one can guys no one can give that to you no one can hand it to you and say hey, here you go god's good That is your journey. Now, others can encourage you and build you up, but there's a piece of this where we need to stand and say, God, I'm going to choose to believe that you are good. I'm going to expect good things from you. I'm going to believe what the Word says about you, that you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. You draw people to repentance, not through bullying, guilt, shame, or fear of hell. You draw it through kindness, the Bible says. That's God. We need to respond with faith, and that will determine how we see the circumstances of our lives. And it will move us from simply believing in Jesus to believing like Jesus. And that is where we will see the breakthrough, right? When we start to believe the way that Jesus does when he hits a circumstance. Now, obviously, God's glory is revealed in Lazarus raised from the dead, But again, his glory is not just, wow, what a powerful guy. It's, man, look at the love on this guy. And love has a power, right, to transform things. All right, let's have the band come back up. Sorry, worship team. Guys, as I was praying this week, just in preparation for the sermon, oh, I just want you to experience the goodness of God. And in some ways, you can, you can taste a little bit of that as I'm speaking, but words cannot do enough. We have to taste and see for ourselves. Would you guys stand with me? This is what I'm going to ask you to do. You guys can start. Just start going for it and playing, if you if you wouldn't mind. And I'll I'm gonna do a short leading, and then we'll we'll go into some re, some just some response. This is just my challenge to you. If you're struggling in any way with just knowing or believing the goodness of God because of just difficult things in your life, things you've experienced, I just want you to know first of all, good things are from God, and bad things are a result of sin in this world, and they're they originate in the heart of the devil. It's not from God. Every inclination of his heart towards you is good. So if that's you, I want you to, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward. If you're just hungry for God, if you're just hungry for a touch of God, where you just want to say, God, I want to know that you're good. I want to know you. I would also just invite you to the front. I just feel like the Lord was saying, this week, you need to come forward. So if you're hungry, please come forward for more of God. If you just want to know that God is good, if there's hard things in your life and you want to receive prayer, let's let the prayer teams come up, please. I just want you to come forward. Sometimes there's something about doing something physically with your body that God is going to bring a breakthrough. I'm just believing that this morning for all of you. But if you want prayer, please come to this front. I just want to pray for you. I'm just believing for a move of God even right now in this room. So come and let's sing this song. It's an oldie but a goodie. Goodie. Don't get hung up. It's a sloppy wet kiss from the hound of heaven who loves you and is pursuing souls all over this planet like you can't even imagine, and he's after you too. If you already believe in him, that's awesome. He wants more. He wants you to know more of his love and his goodness. Let's sing and let's pray.